Faith and Fable, pastoral podcast that discusses common and often controversial topics from a biblical perspective. My name is Matt Miller. I'm Matt Henry, and we are going to talk about what? The Pentecost, well, not the... Can you say that? Pentecost People and the People are Holy right Spirit. now saying, skip, skip, skip. <laughs> yeah, Pentecost and the Holy Spirit. Um, How do you spell Pentecost, Matt? With two E's. Yeah, no A's. No A's. I, I had an A in there. I caught it myself, though. I'm (laughs) self-correcting. I'm I'm proud of you. (laughs) That seminary education really (laughs) took you far. (laughs) Oh, well. Anyway, Uh, so we are working through Systematic Theology 3. If you've been with us, uh, specifically on the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, last time we started to talk about the role of the Spirit in the New Testament, and there we saw that the first mention of the Spirit is with regard to John the Baptist, Uh, But we spent the bulk of the time surveying the nature of the relationship of the Spirit with respect to Jesus' earthly ministry. And so today, we're going to continue on with the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. And specifically, um, we're going to focus in on the Holy Spirit and Pentecost, where he shows up in a very major way. So you want to pick that up for us? Sure. So in previous episodes, we've been talking about three key Old Testament passages that talk about the New Covenant. Uh, If you don't remember them, they're Jeremiah 31, Joel 2, and Ezekiel 36. And what we said was that there are these three key prophetic passages that anticipate a time in which the Spirit of God is going to be poured out and therefore something new and unprecedented will take place. Now, I find that always interesting, by the way, because within covenant theology, there's really only one covenant, the covenant of grace. And so the old covenant and the new covenant are in fact the same covenant, right? just different administrations. Or I always like it when you find the guy who also calls them different dispensations of the covenant. It's like, and, and I, I like showing that to people who freak out when they hear about dispensationalism, like it's, it's like, it's not dirty wood. But anyhow, <laughs> we're arguing it, it, it is an unprecedented, it actually is new. Very it's not, so. it's, it's not just a reiteration or reworking of the same covenant. It's something new. Completely new. Yeah. Right. So anyhow, uh, what we showed though, was that all of those passages that we just talked uh, briefly about are promises that are filled with great expectation. They're all pointing to a future event uh, in which a great promise of God was to be fulfilled, uh, a promise of salvation in which God would relate to his people in a new and, and greater way. And so this new relationship or new covenant would be typified by a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit where the Holy Spirit himself would work in a new great way. And we talked a bit about that last podcast, right? Yeah. Um, just 14, 15, and 16 of John over and over again, a unique way. So the Spirit would no longer simply dwell among the people, but he would now dwell in the people of God. He would take out hearts of stone. He'd put in hearts of flesh. And so by the time we get to the New Testament, we see these Old Testament prophetic promises fulfilled in a mighty way. So in Acts chapter 2, which is the passage we'll be pretty much focusing on, yeah, yeah. well, this is that event that's known as Pentecost. So 
You want to read that? Sure, I'll read it. Man, it's, that's a it's long, a long passage. One. Yeah, it's one through twenty-one. So, who you get to read the different countries too? Yeah. So uh, sit tight here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so this is this is Luke writing. He says, "When the day of Pentecost had come, which was a, it was a festival, it was a feast in Jewish culture." Um, it says they were all gathered in one place, and suddenly they came from heaven. There came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire, distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when the sound occurred, the crowd came together and were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. They were amazed and astonished, saying, Why are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we each hear them in our own language to which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the districts of Libya around Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them in our own tongues speaking of the mighty deeds of God. And they all continued in amazement and great perplexity, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others were mocking and saying they are full of sweet wine. But Peter taking his stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, men of Judea and all you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. For these men are not drunk as you suppose, for it is only the third day, uh, third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. And here then he quotes Joel too. He says, and it shall be in the last days, God says that I will pour forth of my spirit on all mankind and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my bond slaves, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth of my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will grant wonders in the sky above, signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor and smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So without question, this is one of the most significant events, I would argue, in the history of the world. Um, it is the historical record of the coming of the Holy Spirit. Um, in fact, it, it is right, I would say, for the church to celebrate Christmas and Easter and the coming of the Son in a similar way, though we don't really do it in our tradition, uh, I would say it would also be appropriate to celebrate the day of Pentecost, the the, the, the coming of the Holy Spirit. Um, it is... Well, you'd, you'd get some people so irritated with that, though, but I, I'm i not disagreeing well, with you. I, I, I'm just thinking as a pastor how many... Every year I have to deal with people who grumble that we have a celebration for Christmas or a celebration for Easter and there are no holy days, Pastor. I'm like, thank you. Well, go read Colossians and that <laughs> fixes like, that. Um, <laughs> yeah. So it is a transition from the old covenant to the new covenant. It is the birthday of the church. Now, we are not here to debate, debate when the church began. Because we're right. Well, we did an entire episode on that yep. and we covered 13 views on that. So if, oh, you're, that was if fun. you're interested, go check it out. Um so this significant event is accompanied by two miraculous tangible signs. We see in verse 2, notice a loud noise like a rushing wind filled the house. And then in 2.4, these followers of Jesus spoke in tongues. Um, now, this tongue speaking was typified by 
as it says there, rehearsing of the mighty works of God in languages in which they had never learned or spoke before. Right. Very important. Known languages. Right. Yeah. Um, right. What's also important is to notice they're not preaching the gospel when they're talking there. Um, that comes in verse 22 and following where Peter then stands up and he powerfully proclaims the gospel. Rather, these are a rehearsing of the mighty works, plural, of God. We see that in verse 11. So presumably things like his creation, providence, sovereignty, faithfulness, those which, sorts of which things. Which is really important though, because it's not just, it, it, it's, I'm gonna deal with it because I'm preaching through Acts when I get there. And I really want to tear apart again, the, the, the false understanding of modern day tongue speaking, of whatever you want to call it, it's not this. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's it's not some known language where people are then able to say in their mother tongue, I am hearing of the mighty acts of God. That's just not what it is. It's always the same thing. Bada Honda, shoulda bada Yamaha, just said really <laughs> fast. Uh, I'm being yeah. snarky there, but it, it is true. It just, yeah. it, it is what it is. And it's, it's, what I love about it is we turn tongues into something that's all about us, what it makes us feel, right? We need that. It's such a blessing. It's our private prayer language. It's always us, 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 but it's actually God-centered here. It's the mighty works of God. That they're, they're, It's pointing to God. Yeah. And I, I just, anyhow. 100%. Yeah. I'm just ranting. Well, no, they're good rants. Um, well, thank you. Well, let me just give a few notes or uh, implications here. Um First of all, this is the only place on that point that we see tongues described uh, or, you know, where, where we see a record of them actually taking place. So tongue speaking takes place in a few other places in the book of Acts, but none of those events record necessarily what tongue speaking was. Here we see it. I see what your point is. Um, further, we do see tongue speaking mentioned in Paul's writings, but again, it's never defined, it's never explained, and it's certainly never recorded. Um, so this is the only place that we see it happening, taking place, where it's explained in some way. Uh, notice, again, it is not defined as the gospel. That comes in verse 22 and following. And I would say this is significant, but also an interesting point for missions and how uh, tongue speaking interacts with the nature of missions. Many argue tongues are used for missions to bring the gospel to a group of people in which the missionary cannot speak their language. That can happen. I'm not debating that. But if that were to happen, I would call it a miracle. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say it should be identified as the gift of tongues. I could work with that. Um, additionally, tongues are identified as known languages, as we mentioned. It's not a heavenly or unidentifiable utterance. What were you saying? Bought a Honda, should have bought a Hyundai? <laughs> no, no. Uh, Yamaha. Dude, if you're not going to speak in tongues right, don't do it. Okay. Bought a Honda, should have bought a Yamaha. I can't do it quick enough, though. My tongue just can't do that. <laughs> Well, maybe you don't have the gift. And, you know, if any of the listeners out there can do it better, send us a recording. We'll post it. Yeah. Um, yeah, we could have a competition. Yeah. Send in your videos, Faith and Fable, in don't, boxes. Please don't. Um, Unless you buy a mug. We need you to buy those mugs, people. Seriously, buy a mug. Or would you rather us make a really cool baseball cap? Trucker hat. Are they trucker hats? Trucker hats. But no girl would wear a trucker sure hat. Sure they would. Absolutely, 100%. We need to hear from you. Yes, let's. Those are a lot cheaper to mail. At us. At us, if a girl would wear a trucker hat. At us. I don't even know what that means. Oh, that's that Twitter talk, right? <laughs> <Golly>. <laughs> I'm old. <laughs> Shut up. Finish. 
Okay. Um, anyway, uh, it's, it's not a heavenly or unidentifiable utterance, but a known utterance. Uh, verse 7, again, makes this clear in that various um, bystanders were astonished to hear others speaking, but in their own languages, they say. So again, these were legitimate languages known by various people groups. Are you, are you laughing at my spelling? <laughs> you couldn't even know what you even know what you're That wrong. one was a self-correct. I'm gonna blame uh, I'm gonna blame blame Google here. Um, second, one of the marks of one who possesses the filling of the Spirit is that they are a person uh, who, with great joy, speaks about the mighty works of God. Um, again, there's a lot of talk these days that Christians should stop being eggheads. You know, that is just merely talking about God and rather get busy doing something in obedience to God. Oh, man, yeah. To this, we would say amen, but we must not throw out the baby with the bathwater, right? So according to Acts 2, one of the first marks of being filled with the Spirit is not that you roll up your sleeves and get busy, but that you first spend time simply marveling at who God is and what he has done. Um, in fact, I would get, and I know you do too, but you get very excited when a new believer all of a sudden wants to do nothing other than read and talk about the person of God. Yeah, they're starting to think about this is who God is. They find their eyes are open. They believe, they see, and now they just want to know more about him. Well, the better you know him, the better than whatever you do will reflect yeah. him. Absolutely. It's, in, it's one of the most momentous marks, we would say, of a person who truly possesses the spirit of God. Uh, they enter into a feeding frenzy in which it seems that they can't get enough food. They want to just keep feasting upon the Word of God. And so they spend much time learning, reading, talking, again, marveling at the great and mighty things of God. All right. So having said all that, these tongues are miraculously experienced all the more because they're being distributed like fire. It's interesting because he uses the term like fire as well as like a rushing wind. It wasn't rushing wind and it wasn't fire. It's like. This is similes. So these tongues are not actual fire. Uh they're, they're distributed in such a manner that people are described as bursting out in tongue speaking, similar to how fire uh, bursts up when given oxygen. You'll often see paintings of this event and the disciples are depicted of, of having fire over their heads. Well, it's important to keep in mind that this was not actual fire. Um, so we should not pray for fire. <laughs> Holy Spirit fire come upon, oh golly. Their spontaneous tongue speaking, rather, is described to be spontaneous like fire, uh, like, again, the catching bursts of oxygen. In other words, it's simply speaking of the spontaneity of the event. It's happening. Um, and if you've, well, with our recent riots, if, you know, if you ever want to see how fire spreads, just... It's just popping up all over the place. Yeah, it's yeah. just watch the videos of Kenosha. But it's the same thing there. Yeah. Um, so now... This outpouring of the Holy Spirit was a was a very dramatic event. Well, really quickly, and, it, and that's important because, again, as we talked about last time, one of the things with the New Covenant is that the Spirit didn't come and just rest upon a single person. Rather, He came and would now fill many people. Right. Because um, in the Old Testament, remember, there's that anointing. He would right. come upon a king or a judge. Which we would, right. Yeah. Right. Um, here, you have, it, it's happening to multiple people. So it's just, again, this new kind of work that the Spirit is, is doing among God's people. Okay, so this whole drama, um, 
of happening to these followers of the of Christ um, are seen in five verbs. So in chapter two, verse six, you see that people are bewildered. In verse seven, you see they're amazed and astonished. In verse 12, you see they're amazed and perplexed. So again, it was just an incredible event that was spontaneous. It was unexpected. Uh, frankly, it was utterly shocking to the people. Uh, further, these believers were described as receiving the filling of the Holy Spirit in verse 4, something which had never taken place. Now, there's a debate on who exactly received that filling. I don't know if people knew that. Uh, the question is really twofold. Was it first just the 120 who were mentioned to be present if you go back into chapter 1? Or two, the other view is, was it only the 12 apostles? Because in 2.14, Peter said to take his stand with the other 11. So there, there's two different views depending on how you land. We'll give you uh, the our thoughts. The, in favor of view one, Joel speaks of more than just men being the recipients of the promise. He talks about sons and daughters and slaves. Um, there were also 120 previously gathered in the upper room. So that's in view of uh, more than just the 12. Yeah. In favor of view two, the immediate antecedent, though, to the pronoun they in chapter two, verse one, is actually the apostles back in chapter one. Uh, the promise of the baptism of the Spirit by Jesus was given directly to the disciples. That was back in chapter one, verses one through five. And the subsequently baptized believers were, are described as continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. This is because they recognize apostles as apostles. Since they were first to receive the Spirit and demonstrate the presence of the Spirit through the speaking of the tongues. Further, they are promised that their children will also be saved in chapter 2, verse 39, therefore fulfilling the language of sons and daughters in Joel 2. Um, you lean towards view 2, so you think it's more the apostles. I do. Yes. Do you have I, a position? I don't, I don't have a position. I'll get a position when I get to it in my okay. sermons. So explain why. Uh, well, well, I'm going to go fix the spelling. The here. evidence that you just gave. Um, <laughs> first of all, I, when I'm making an exegetical decision, I tend to lead toward the grammatical point. So, I think your strongest one is the antecedent. Yeah, the, the immediate antecedent is just a few verses earlier, which is the apostles. Um, so that would, I think it's just primarily them that is being spoken of here. Um, in the end, it doesn't really matter all that much other than when you begin to enter those discussions of how the sign gifts work. And that's why it's an important debate. Um, well, and 2 Corinthians 12, 12 speaks of the signs of a quote, true apostle. Okay, um, and so it gets, it gets into some of that stuff. Well, so, And part of that gets into, um, and I'm, I'm trying to think of how our notes do this. Cause I, I brought it up for off uh, mic, but, in, I know this, when I preached through Acts 2, I never dealt with that aspect as much as when we talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we talk about the filling of the Holy Spirit. Well, we did a whole podcast and whatnot just on what those things mean. Um, there's oftentimes a confusing of being filled with the Spirit with the baptism. So Jesus promised that there'd be the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but then here we have the filling of the Holy Spirit. I would argue that that and the baptism are both occurring. 
Correct. And the filling, yeah. though, is that unique word. And you have to go, guys, you have to really need to go back and listen to that sermon, uh, not sermon, what's it called? Podcast. Episode. Um, episode, then, on spirit baptism, spirit filling, and regeneration, I think Indwelling. It is. Indwelling. Um, really should go back and listen to it, because we, I think it's very helpful. But the filling is a unique empowerment, just like in the Old Testament, the king would have the spirit come upon him, right? The prophet would come upon him. Um, baptism of the Holy Spirit is not the same thing. That is something in which you're incorporated into the church. And so what you have are really two things going on there, I think. One is overtly stated and one is unstated. You've got the filling of the spirit. And that would, <clears throat> and I could easily see your point that that would connect with the apostles because they're being empowered right now for that unique work that's going to happen right there on the right. day of Pentecost. So that would make a lot of sense um, that they're being filled, not just the general group of people, but all of them are also in the process of having been baptized with the spirit because they're now part of this new church that has just come into being. Yeah. But it's not stated. Right. Well, it is. Well, theologically, it's there, but yeah. Well, and it, it sort of is in chapter one and verse five. Um, that, that's my point. Though. Yeah, it says for for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit when not many days from now. Right. When is that? Many days from now. Acts chapter two. Okay. But but then it but then they call it filling. Then they call it filling, and that's yes. and so that's the challenge. Is so you can easily see how they can confuse the two, right. but biblically, they're really two distinct events, but they can actually happen at the exact same time. They're exactly. filled with exactly. the Spirit and baptized with the Spirit. Uh, the filling is this empowerment where the baptism is an incorporation into the body. Correct, yes. Hope everyone followed that. Uh, if not... Email us. Yeah. Or listen to the yeah. episode. It, it's, it is important to get... It, it sounds like we're... Um, Splitting hairs, maybe? Yeah, that's a good way. We're not, though. It's, it's, this is why there's so much confusion is because people aren't careful with the categories. Right. Um, and if you can get careful with the categories, it helps clear fact, some things up. Almost always, that's where the problems lie. So honestly, guys, if you've not heard those uh, the, the episode on that, go back and do it because we just tear it apart and show you what's going on. Um, and it's it was really, I remember learning this, and it was just so helpful um, it's, it's one that you don't do while you're jogging, unless you're already predisposed to agree with us, then you can enjoy it. But if you're struggling with this or you're trying to get your head around, listen to that episode where, where you're at your table, you got your Bible open and actually take the time to look at the text. Like we take you through because, uh, we, we, we took great pains. I, I hope that's one thing for whatever else. I hope our podcast will prove that we're, we're, we're not trying to just push the Westminster Confession of Faith or London Baptist. We don't care about that. We're just trying to say, here's the text, here's the scripture. Yeah, what does the Bible say? Yeah, let's look at it. And and then if we have to adjust a few things, we'll we'll adjust. But uh, we would we don't want to ever try to make the Bible adjust to our experience or some confession. Right. Would you agree I with that? I agree with that 100%. Right. Okay. So, so where are we so, off in our notes then? Here we are. Uh, the promise of the Holy Spirit um, resulted in a few things. Um, first of all, the followers of Jesus Christ were given dynamic power for ministry. Uh, so, for example, you see Peter's cowardice denial. It's radically transformed into a bold, confident, radical 
proclamation and confession of Jesus Christ as the yeah, crucified, the, risen Messiah. The so Peter was not the same dude. 40 days earlier. <laughs> yeah, denying, he's dying, right, denying right. right. Now he stands up in front of those same people and with confidence declares Jesus Christ, uh, Jesus to be the Christ. Um, this is another indication of the one who is, or a one who is filled with the Holy Spirit. In the midst of much fear, they still have bold confidence to confess Jesus as Lord and to proclaim his gospel. Um, further, there's a few other things that we won't extrapolate on. I'll just list them, but yeah, there's boldness again to preach the gospel. There's dedication to live holy lives. There's one love for one another taking place, which again was to characterize that future community of Christ. And there is courage to face persecution. And these themes are picked up on and extrapolated upon throughout the rest of Acts. So what is, what's the big idea? Um, every believer in Christ since that very first Pentecost is given that same blessing of the Spirit, of being baptized with the Spirit. Yeah. Um, which, again, is why it's important to make that distinction of that and the filling and all of that. Yeah. Um, the specific experiences of that first Pentecost do not, though, necessarily accompany the blessing. That's so important. Um, it was a unique time in redemptive history. It was the birthday of the church, and all of history hinges on that very dramatic event. As a result, it's not normative, um, but a unique event that signified a true fulfillment of God's Old Testament promise for that new covenant. And this is a very critical point to understand. Many keep wanting Acts 2. They, they may want Acts 2, but all of Acts to be normative. They want Paul picking up a snake accidentally instead of a sits stick, right? And they're like, oh yeah, we should be able to do it. And it's like, no, you don't. <laughs> don't pick up that poisonous snake. That's not wise. But they, yeah, they want Acts 2 to be normative, but that, that would deny actually the importance of what Acts 2 actually is doing or functions. It's unique, and it had to be unique because it was to, oh boy, I'll struggle with this word, unequivocally, I don't know if I can get my lips got to, it. I said it, oh boy. It's acceptable. Um, Mark the dramatic fulfillment of those Old Testament prophetic promises. Uh, so just to drive it home, the day of Pentecost was a unique historical event that was not repeated or repeatable. It was a particular moment in God's outworking of salvation. It marks a transition from that old covenant to the new. Uh, likewise, uh, it marks a transition from the old covenant ministry of the Spirit. Ah, I like that. That's a good point. To the new covenant ministry of the Spirit. And nowhere else in Scripture will this dramatic event uh, be repeated. Yeah. So essentially a summary of this in, of this episode should be this. What can you walk away with? Well, Pentecost um, and the descent of the Holy Spirit is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies. We see that in Acts 2.16. Um, it is the fulfillment of the words of John the Baptist, John 1.33. It is the fulfillment of Jesus' own words in John 7.38-39. Um, it is the inauguration of the new covenant and, again, the birthday of the church. Um, and Jesus here is now continuing his ministry of baptizing believers with the Holy Spirit. Um, and again, all of this, the point is, though, this is, this is typified with the presence, the work, and the power of the Holy Spirit. And so that's the point to understand. Um, so there's a lot more we could say here, but we'll just keep this shorter. Um, that is the essence of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. Um, it, it's what's, again, what's important about it is what you said, is that it, it is unique and it has to be unique because it's what marks and distinguishes this to be the fulfilling of those three Old Testament 
texts that we're anticipating the new covenant. Um, so next time we'll jump into the various ministries then of the Holy Spirit and begin talking about some of the critical differences between the old covenant and new covenant ministries of the spirit. But until then, we'd say make sure to tune in, join the conversation. We'd love to hear your thoughts on the Holy Spirit and Pentecost. Give us a five-star rating and leave us a review at iTunes. And don't forget to like, share, comment, rate, review. Uh, connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and tell a friend. And also tell us if you want trucker hats.